Thank you for listening to the podcast for Icon Church, where we believe all people are icons of the invisible God, made in his image to reflect his glory and grace. For more information, go to iconchurch.org. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks for saying hi to one another. Good evening. Thanks for being here. Good evening, everyone. Hey, happy Memorial Day. Uh, my name's Sam. I am not Justin, obviously. Um, me and though we both wear hats a lot, right? I know he wears a Seattle hat. I wore a Supersonics hat. Bring him back. Amen. Bring him back. Um, my name's Sam. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm actually a pastor at a church plant down the road, just down the street, a church called Reunion. My family, uh, Esther, my wife, and our six kids are here with you all this morning. We got Justin beat by one. We got the Andersons beat by one. Uh, this is not a competition. Don't get into that competition. Uh, but we're here tonight to join you guys. Justin's been a friend. Uh, I got to know him actually in 2011. And then we began to hang out a little more the last year as we both found ourselves in the city of Seattle and found out we were both planting in the same city and began to hang out. And he came and preached at Reunion this past year. He'll be here uh, with us again this coming summer. But we appreciate him so much. We're so happy and excited that there's a church plant, another church plant happening in this city, especially in a, in a, in a neighborhood like Capitol Hill. Um, we believe there needs to be more churches like this church um, with their presence in a neighborhood like this. So we're so thankful for you guys cheering you on, learning from Justin as we go as well. Um, but thankful for you guys. Reunion's a new church as well. As I said, we're, uh, we're actually been around a little longer. Uh, about a year and five months will be, um, we're celebrating like kind of week to week since we've been going. Um, we planted in Beacon Hill. We're a South End church. Um, my family and I live down in Rainier Beach, about far south as you can go in Seattle. Um, we started the church in Beacon Hill, and now we meet at a place called Centilio Cultural Center um, right by the light rail stop in Beacon Hill there. And uh, church planning is challenging, and it's beautiful, um, as you guys know. So we're in, the, we're in the thick of that, praying that God would continue to lead and direct us about what's next as we, we kind of figure out what's it like to be his people sent on his mission in the world um, and in the city called Seattle. So thanks for having us. Um, Justin hit me up and asked me to preach today. It's Memorial Day. That's one reason, right? He's like, hey, you know, I'll be out of town. He's out hanging out with his friends. I get it. Um, and then he gave me the text. And the text, this was like, this, this came out sideways. He's like, it's not the one in your bulletin, right? It's not 1 Corinthians 15. It's actually 1 Corinthians 6. And he gave me the text. And I looked at the text. I'm like, man, like lawsuit. If, if you look at it, 1 Corinthians 6, you can get there if you want to, if you have a Bible or a Bible app. But he said, hey, I said, hey, what am I preaching on for you? He said, 1 Corinthians, we're in the series going through, the, through that letter. And you get 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, and I look at the, the header, lawsuits against believers. I'm like, really? That's what you're going to give me? Like as the, the, the guest speaker coming in on Memorial Day, right, you're going to give me 1 Corinthians 6 about this lawsuit against believers text. But actually when I begin to dive into it, at first I was, like, I was actually upset a little bit. Not upset at Justin. I'm like, man, this is kind of a bummer text to like dive into the context of Corinthians 4, do all the work to get into it and kind of see what God's saying to us. But when I dove in more and more, actually I saw that it was a great text for our time and our culture. Our time and our culture is very fragmented, very fractured, right? You got demonization happening between peoples. You got polarization happening in our world. And man, we need a text. We need, we need some wisdom from God to say, how do we navigate divisions of all sorts? How do we navigate being wronged? This text is going to help us today. So I'm actually um, excited to dive into it. It's going to be a short sermon. Amen? 
like 20, I'm not serious, it's going to be a short sermon. Um, this Memorial Day, we had our service this morning. I was at the hospital for our toddler um, this afternoon. She's okay, praise God, um, and then preaching today. So this could be a short text. So I want you guys to get out the door, eat, you know, get ready for Memorial Day tomorrow. Our kids are off school um, tomorrow, so we got to like, get ready for that. That's a, that's a work day, amen. So uh, <laughs> the text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible, open it up, 1 Corinthians 6. One through eight, I'll read the text, pray, and then we'll jump in. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of all the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, but you pray for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would come today and teach us from your word. Thank you for your word, that you have left us with the guidebook to life, that you've left us with letters to point us to Jesus and to point us to how to live in this world as people who follow Jesus. Equip us and encourage us today and send us out to be your people in the world by the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you guys know, Corinthians is a letter that's written by Paul, right? He writes this to this church that he helped start. And this church of Corinth, right, is a messy church, is it not? You guys have been going through the letters some. It's a messy church, right? And all churches are a bit messy, right? Because people are messy, right? Jesus says he came for those who don't have it together yet, right? He didn't come for the righteous, but those who don't have it together. So no surprise that the church is a bit messy. But, but Corinth, as you guys have, have learned, is like special messy, right? It's special messy. It's a divided church, right? In fact, Paul sets the table in chapter 1 of Corinthians by saying, I appeal to you, Corinthians, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. He says, it has been reported. It has been reported to me that there is quarreling and fighting among you. There's a lot happening in Corinth, right? disagreements and divisions and arrogance and there's sins that are happening and Paul wants the wants the church to be of one mind he says to be united he wants them to be he wants them to be on the same page and he wants them listen to lean into Jesus more and more he wants them to lean into Jesus more and more rather than being shaped by the wisdom and the power of the world it's a repeated theme in the first few chapters the wisdom and the power of God he reminds them that there is a wisdom that is not of this world. In fact, he says that Jesus is the very wisdom of God, a wisdom not of this world. He reminds them that there is a power not of this world, right? He says it's the power of the cross. He says to them, hey, these things, the power of the cross, the wisdom of Christ, these things should be the things that shape us. But, but he says to them, but you are immature, and you are acting in immature ways and not in the way of Christ. That's what he's talking to and saying to the Corinthian church. The Corinth 
church has much to teach us. Because listen, we aren't much different, are we, than the church of Corinth. We too struggle with sin. We too struggle with division and tribalism. And we too trade the wisdom of God and the power of God for the wisdom of the world. And we too exchange, right, the power of the cross for the power of the so-called culture around us. And we like Corinth, listen, we need to hear from God and be realigned to the way of Jesus in the world. And that's Paul's aim in this letter, isn't it? Today we find him digging into a new issue in the church, a new issue that's happening in this church called Corinth. And here's the issue. Those who have grievances, those who have grievances with each other, are actually dragging one another to court. They're dragging each other to court. People in the Corinth have been, as we say in the South End, They've been beefing. They got some beef. <laughs> they have some unreconciled cases. So, so they decide to take one another to court to deal with the wrongs that have been done to them. And we can be a bit empathetic here, right? Being wronged is weighty, isn't it? Being wronged is weighty. Have you ever had a, a grievance with someone? Have you ever been wronged? My guess is that you've been wronged at some point in your life, Right? And my guess is that you've wronged someone else in your life. Maybe you're actually here today, okay? Maybe you're here today and you've been going through a battle with a family member. Maybe you're here today and you've been going through a battle with someone else in the church or someone at work. Perhaps you feel that your reputation has been discredited or you've been taken advantage of or even betrayed. Maybe you feel the weight of being wronged. Listen, if you're not there in that moment right now, if you don't feel like you've been wronged, right, we know that someday in the future we will feel that way, right? So Paul has a word for the church of Corinth today and has a a word for us. He begins the text by saying in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? To the unrighteous instead of the saints. This local church in Corinth is dealing with the same thing we all deal with. People hurt one another. People do things that are wrong. We have disputes in life. And Paul starts off by asking them, hey, hey, when, when that happens, why do you ask the local courts to help bring about justice and reconciliation instead of the people of God, the saints? Now, Paul isn't, hear me, hear me out here. Paul isn't saying this. He's not saying that there's never any reason to bring in the local legal system, okay? Hear me out. He's not saying if someone does something criminal to you, like that you shouldn't call the police. Don't take away that from the sermon today. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Romans 13, Paul, the same author, says to be subject to the governing authorities who have been set in place by God to bring about justice to the wrongdoer, okay? So let that be clear. But here's what Paul's saying here. Here's what he's getting at. If if someone owes you, for example, some money, someone defrauds you, or someone slanders you and wrecks your reputation, or if you have been hurt in a variety of interpersonal ways that aren't criminal, if there's beef between one another, the default should not be to take one another to court, right? That shouldn't be the default. The the default shouldn't be, look, I'm going to get my money back. I'm going to get my money back, and I'm going to have a lawsuit against that person, so not only do I get my money back, but a little extra on the side, Right? I'm going to have them pay me even more money because of what they put me through. That should not be the default of the people of God. Now, now why is Paul giving this counsel? There's three reasons in the text. Three reasons. Number one, Paul's giving this counsel because of something called identity. Identity. 
Because Christians have a particular wisdom and position in Christ. Paul makes the argument of why we should not drag one another to court through using this word saints. He used it twice there in the beginning of the, the chapter. This word saints is identity language. Paul is saying, listen, why would you have those who lead with the wisdom of the world, those who are devoid of the Spirit of God, those who don't follow Jesus, the unrighteous, why would, why would they be the ones who, who help bring wisdom and reconciliation to an issue between fellow Christian beings, between fellow Christians? Say, why go to them? He's saying, listen, we the saints, we the beloved of God, we the sons and daughters of the King, we have the very wisdom of Christ. We have the wisdom of Christ. We have the Spirit of God. We will actually, he says, judge the world with Christ as his heirs. He says, so why? Why would we entrust ourselves to the world's wisdom and power when it comes to trivial cases? See that in verse 2? He uses that word trivial. Trivial cases. The things that the church of Corinth are dragging one another to court about are actually really petty. <laughs> They're petty. They aren't massive murder cases. They are the trivial things of life. Trivial, right? That means of little importance in the grand scheme of things. And Paul sarcastically here says this, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? He's like, look, oh, I get it. So you're going to judge angels, right? You're going to judge the world one day with Jesus, but you can't kind of figure out how to navigate the beef you have with the guy in your community group that borrowed your car and hit a telephone pole. Got it. But that's what he's saying. He's getting a little sarcastic. He's saying, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? He wants them to remember who they are in Christ. You are saints, he says. You will judge the world. You have the very wisdom of God. You are fully capable in Christ to work out issues between one another. He says, don't run to those who have the wisdom of the world. Rather, find others in the church who can help you come to justice and conclusions and proper next steps. He actually says in verse 5, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? He's making the case here that there's others within the church that, can bring, that you can bring into whatever situation you find yourself in in order to help bring about reconciliation. He's saying, let the saints handle these trivial cases. So he starts with identity. You're the saints. You have the wisdom of God. The saints, he says, are more than qualified to help bring about wisdom and justice and peace. Why? Because we follow the God of justice and wisdom and peace. We are his people and we have his word, and we have his spirit. So he starts with identity, and then he moves to the second reason why they shouldn't drag one another to court. He reminds them of their witness in the world, their witness of the world. He reminds them of their mission. He says, you are to be witnesses. Not only do you have an identity as saints and the wisdom of God, but you have a witness in the world. Verse 5, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? See that phrase? And that before unbelievers? He's saying, listen, rather than finding someone in the church to deal with your dispute, you all are, you're all taking one another to court. And you're doing so before unbelievers. Before unbelievers in their presence. You all are fighting publicly and treating one another as enemies before the watching world. That's what he's getting at. 
He's saying you're dragging one another to court. You're dragging one another on social media. You're dragging one another and slandering one another house to house. And the world is watching and your witness is being hindered. And Jesus' name is being defamed because of how you treat your brother and sister. He's helping his readers here understand that this type of action goes far beyond just them and the person they're at odds with. Right? He's saying, no, look, this brings division within the church collectively. And even more, it influences the way unbelievers see Jesus. That's what he's getting at. He said, you know, unbelievers, when we beef with one another and fight and drag one another, here's what we're doing. We're seeing these unbelievers are watching. They're looking on as we trash one another and defame one another and defraud one another. And they're thinking this. This is what I think they're thinking. Man, like I'm already from a dysfunctional family. Things are already jacked up and messed up in my life, in my social circle. I don't want any more dysfunction in my life. Why would I join this thing called the church if this is what it's like, if this is what they're doing, if there's supposed to be something different, a certain type of fragrance, why would I enter into another dysfunctional place before unbelievers? I actually recently got off Twitter for this very reason. I don't know if anybody's on Twitter, but it's a mess, right? Like it grieved my heart to see Christians publicly battling and demonizing one another back and forth before a watching world publicly on social media. Listen, listen. The way we deal with hurt, the way we deal with disagreement within the church has missional implications, right? And I would say it has doxological implications. It changes the way people would worship and see Jesus. It changes the way the culture and our neighbors and our world see Jesus. Listen, they don't smell the fragrance of Christ. Instead, they would smell the chaos and the division that we're putting forward when we do so before unbelievers. Paul is telling the church of Corinth, that they are setting up unnecessary boundaries and stumbling blocks that actually deter others to seeing and believing in Jesus all in the name of their own self-interest. And he says to them, hey, listen, that's self-defeating. That's self-defeating. Verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. It's already a defeat to you. He's saying, hey, listen, you might win the argument online. Right? Or you might win the lawsuit, but you've lost your brother and sister, and you've lost your purpose in the world. You've won. You've done so at a great cost. Right? That's what he's saying. It's self-defeating. So Paul here has thus far argued that to publicly deal with our grievances and disagreements in a vindictive way with the wisdom of the world is the antithesis of our identity in Christ. And it's the antithesis of our mission in the world. And now Paul wraps it with a beautiful bow. He wraps it with a beautiful bow. He says the third reason, the third reason here, why we shouldn't lean into the wisdom of the world when things aren't reconciled is because of the gospel. Because the gospel demands something different from us. Look at verse 7 and 8. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even through your own brothers and sisters. Paul here finishes the text for today with some really hard words, right? He's saying, hey, listen, instead of taking one another to court, instead of blasting one another publicly, what if you decided rather to suffer wrong than defame one another in the name of Jesus? What if you rather decided to suffer wrong? 
Why not rather be defrauded than demand paybacks at the expense of unity? That's what he's saying. Now, all by itself, this is an extremely hard ask, isn't it? To suffer wrong when you've been wronged? To just take it? All by itself, it's a very hard task, one that we would not be able to maintain for a lifetime of hurt and disputes of others, right? But listen, once we attach this to Jesus and his gospel, it changes everything. It changes everything. Just listen. There is one. There is one that was perfect and sinless, the very God of creation, who came to earth in order to reconcile us from our sin and pain. Amen? And listen, Jesus suffered wrong, did he not? He suffered wrong at the expense and at the hands of his creation. Listen, although he had never sinned, although he only poured out his life for the good of others, although he only welcomed the marginalized and outcast, although he healed the sick and the lame, despite all of that, he suffered at the hands of sinful people. He was treated wrongly. He was treated unjustly. His reputation was on the line. He was falsely accused. He was mistreated and he was maligned. He was literally, listen, dragged to court in the evening to the Garden of Gethsemane and dragged to court before others and pronounced as guilty. He took on the blame for our sins and was given the very justice that you and I deserve for our sins. Listen, he did this for his brothers and sisters. For, he did this for them rather than against them. Paul is saying, hey, don't go against brothers and sisters because you have one, remember this, who suffered wrong for his brothers and sisters. And we are to receive his forgiveness and walk in his identity and demonstrate his way in the world. So what would it look like for us to, despite being wronged at times in trivial cases, before our brothers and sisters rather than go against them, right? Jesus suffered in a way that none of us have ever suffered. None of us, right, are perfect. All of us have sinned, and yet we have found ourselves getting worked up over trivial matters. And Jesus would remind us today that when we suffer wrong, and we will, when we are defrauded, and we will be, we are to take the suffering and give it to Jesus. Amen? Or we are to do this. We should always do that. Or we are also to do this. Are we to deal with it? We are to deal with it in such a way that we don't drag our family members to court before a watching world. That we don't seek vengeance here. That we don't bring the issue before the watching world. But instead we bring that issue before the church. Before people who have the wisdom of God. By doing so, that means we are being, in fact, a gospel people. A gospel people. Listen, we who have received mercy and forgiveness are in turn to take that mercy and forgiveness and give it to others. God who has been patient with us and God who has been long-suffering with us calls us to imitate him in the world. And we can only do so when we are reminded of and basking in and imitating and motivated by the gospel. It's the only way we can do it. It's totally outside of us on our own. So let me say this. I told you it could be short, y'all. Invite Connor and the band up. Let me say this to close. May you and I, may the church of Seattle, may Icon and Reunion and every other gospel Jesus-following church in this city, may we be a people rooted in our identity, 
right? We are saints. We are brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done. We have access to the very wisdom of God. Right? James reminds us, if you need wisdom, ask. Ask for it. We have the access to the very wisdom of God because of who we are in Christ. Right? Two, may we be people on the mission of God. Right? May we be people on the mission of God aware that by our love and our unity in the world, only then will the world want to lean in a little bit. Right? Only then will the world be drawn in. Jesus says in John 17, by your unity will the world see that, you're actually, that I have been actually sent by the Father. In other words, the world draws a straight line from the way Christians treat each other and if Jesus is legit or not. Right? John 13 says, by your love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. The connecting line between us and Jesus is also through our love for one another. The world will be drawn in only when we show each other that love and that forgiveness that we all want and we all need. And then lastly, may we be a gospel people. Reminding one another day to day who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. And allowing, listen, allowing that. Allowing that to shape how we navigate being wronged in the world. Because guys, listen, there's a lot of things we can listen to. To shape how we should react to being wronged in the world. A lot of things that we can put the dial up on. And a lot of it is not the wisdom of Christ. So he calls us, he calls the church of Corinth, who's dealing with these legitimate issues in, the, in real time back then, and it has implications for you and I, how we deal with being wronged and defrauded in these trivial cases that all of us have experienced, are experiencing, or will, one day will experience in the world. And he gives us some really, really basic but deep wisdom on how to navigate it, doesn't he? It's beautiful. He gives us his wisdom. We are to be a people rooted in our identity. We are to be a people on the mission of God. We are to be a people that are gospel people. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, again, thank you for your word. It is clear. It is beautiful. It is completely relevant for our day-to-day lives. Thank you that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned these words to a church in Corinth. A church that was messy and going through all kinds of things, and he pinned them to them to help them see Jesus clearly and walk in the way of Jesus and to have reconciliation between God and them and them and one another. And God, we get to read that letter, allow us to understand it through the power of your spirit and apply it to all of life. And man, we need your help, God. We need your help to navigate being wronged. We know being wronged is wrong. (laughs) And yet you call us to walk in a certain way in the world. And we need your help. We can't do it without you. So give us the wisdom from above. Give us the power of the gospel from above. And when we mess up and we wrong others, thank you, Jesus, that you died on our behalf so that we can be forgiven and loved and accepted despite our sin. May we take that and spread that like a virus throughout Seattle. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll take a-